0: Well, oh, good morning everyone and uh, thanks for tuning in online here to Trinity Bible Church. I have the great honor and the great privilege to uh, fill in for Pastor Sean this morning. Uh, we're about 10 days in to the new year and I wanted to wish you a happy new year because it's germane to what I'd like to speak to you about. A happy new year to everyone and I'm assuming Over the past 10 days, and maybe a few more, that you've been going about saying Happy New Year to folks. And I want to challenge you to think about this for the moment. What is a Happy New Year? And what is happiness, especially in light of our status quo? We've got many problems, physical, mental, social, financial. Foundations are being broken down, businesses are being closed, savings are disappearing. Homes have been lost, the stock market goes up, the stock market goes down, and alarmingly to me, there is more and more civil disobedience. And there's also the issue of autonomy. And all these things, I'm going to suggest to you, impact happiness. But what is happiness? Does it come with, or does it come from, having meaning, purpose, and fulfillment? And how about truth? All of these things mixed in together. Or is it something else? So part of this morning, we're gonna be looking at some research and what they found out about happiness, but it needs saying that happiness is different from joy. So before we get into it, may we just pause and have a moment of prayer, and then we'll look at this morning's message. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you so much for what you have given us a- another year a- another day another month another week time to understand to draw closer to you to have you draw closer to us and to get in touch with what is happiness what's meaning what's purposeful what's fulfilling in this life may you guide us through it by your spirit this morning amen so happiness it needs be said is different from joy and I want to read to you from a book by Kay Warren titled this choose boy joy because happiness isn't enough intriguing title so I read it and I want to read to you her definition joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life the quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right, and determined choice to praise God in every situation. Praise God in every situation. That becomes rather poignant in the midst of a pandemic. She goes on to say this, you'll find nothing in that definition about happy feelings, because as we all know, happiness is fleeting and temporary. And we tend to think that life comes in hills, And valleys, while in reality it's much more like train tracks. Every day of your life wonderful, good things that bring you pleasure and contentment and beauty happen to you. At the exact same time, painful things can happen to you, to those you love, or to those around you, and they'll disappoint you, they may hurt you, they may fill you with sorrow. And these two tracks Joy and sorrow run parallel to each other in every single moment of your life. Let that sink in for a minute. Every single moment of your life, joy and sorrow, something related to happiness, it's running parallel in every moment of your life. Let me say this. According to Kay, and i have to agree with her entirely, Happiness is based more in circumstances, which begs the question, what then is joy? And I'm going to suggest to you that joy is having meaning, purpose, and fulfillment, and those things are not based in this world and are not based in what the culture teaches us, but they are based in God. And if you want to have a real interesting read, I'm going to suggest a book of the Bible for you, uh, especially after listening to Pastor Sean last week, getting into the Bible, reading it, understanding it, spending time in the Word. This book is called Ecclesiastes. It is written by a man called Solomon. He was reputed to be the wisest man on earth and the wealthiest. And I studied that for a second. Comparatively to the wealth of today, Solomon's wealth exceeded Bill Gates, John D. Rockefeller, Stephen Jobs, or whoever the man is that owns Amazon, Jeff Bezos. Solomon was wise and wealthy. Sounds like a key to happiness, no? Let me read to you the first verse in the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Whew, doesn't sound happy. However, I'm gonna give you a, a quick encouragement to read that book because if you go to the last chapter and read what his conclusion is, the wisest, wealthiest man on earth, Now all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's the whole duty, is that happiness. I'm going to keep bringing that up, and I want you to address it in your heart and in your mind. Is that happiness? We've suffered a collective blow as a society, as a culture, as a world to our happiness. The things that are going on right now. They're challenging us, and they're challenging us in so many ways, and I have to agree, there is a loss of happiness. There's also a loss of some of our freedoms. For instance, we can't gather together, we're restricted on travel. There's a loss of confidence, there's a loss of trust, and there's a loss of truth. And we don't know who or what to believe. That interrupts your happiness. So besides the book of Ecclesiastes, I'm gonna suggest to you another book that you should read from the Bible if you want to understand more about this topic, happiness, meaning purpose and fulfillment. Does happiness come from, or does happiness come with, meaning purpose and fulfillment? It's the book of John, and I call the book of John the book of truth. In that book, there are so many things said By Christ and recorded that we should read and pay attention to and I'm gonna start out by reading you some of those scriptures and we're gonna see how these will eventually tie in to happiness meaning purpose and fulfillment the first one I'm going to read you comes from the book of John chapter 10 verse 10 I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. other versions will say more abundantly or a better life than you've ever dreamed of. So, as you read this book, and I hope you will, I hope you ask this question, well, what's a full life? What is something that's so better than I've ever dreamed of? And I'm gonna answer that for you. But I'm not gonna answer it from my own mind, I'm gonna answer it from the Bible. And it's a life that's full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And you can look that up and find it in Galatians 5:22 and 23. I'm going to refer to it again. Why is it important that it said, I have come? So who is Jesus? And how is he going to be the gateway to us for happiness? I'm going to read to you another scripture from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Immediately when you read that, maybe you're going to say, free? Free from what? And I agree with you. Free from what? And Christ, when he had this dispute with uh, some of the Pharisees, they said, We're not slaves to anyone. So what are you going to be free from? I'm going to read to you from James 2, verses 8 to 13. It's really interesting if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You are going to be free from your having broken the law. you're going to say well wait a minute I'm a fine person I don't break the law well we know the ten commandments the first four tell us how to get into a relationship with God the last six tell us how to live with each other I'm just going to go to one and ask you if you've ever heard this term well it was a white lie thou shalt not bear false testimony what is a white lie that's an adjective in front of what you are lying you've broken the law I hate to tell you this, but I've lied. And I'm wondering if you or if you haven't lied. And let me uh, ask you this. If a white lie is tolerated, then what about the rest of the law? It's either a lie or it's not. And we're gonna be getting into some of this again. There is an absolute. So, you are set free. What are you set free from by Christ? Well, it's the consequences of being a liar or a lawbreaker, and you're going to end up finding out that those consequences being removed from you bring you into a state of understanding, meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. That'll give you some happiness, but how do you get to that point? And I want you to keep reading that book of John, but I'm going to just come out and tell you. The way you get to that point is to get into a relationship with God who made and loves you. I won't stop there. I'm going to read a couple more from the book of John. John 14, 6, one of the more quoted. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there it is again. What is truth? What is life? Who tells us what these things are? The Father is God. So how do we figure the answer out to this? If you are the way, the truth, and the life, what is truth and life? I'm going to summarize it quickly because we're going to keep going through to find out how this all relates. The truth is, it's an absolute, the truth is the person of Jesus Christ and his mission, which was given to him by his father, God, who sent Christ to this earth to save and redeem us. Pastor Sean quoted John 3:16 and 17 last week. I'm just going to quote John 17 because... People tend to think of God as being a very determined, grumpy old man with bolts of lightning to throw him down and destroy us and teach us. But John three seventeen says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Safe from what? From the consequences of being a lawbreaker. I'm going to read another passage to you which is incredibly poignant when we start talking about truth because it's not a battle that we have right now in our culture. Fake news is a huge topic these days, but it's been going on for some 2,000 years. So listen to this. This is Christ on trial in front of Pilate. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king and in fact... The reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate rather infamously replies, what is truth? If you continue to read in that book of John, from the start to the finish, you'll get the same answer. The truth is an absolute. The truth is Jesus. The Son of God sent to earth to redeem us from pursuing a life of happiness to pursuing a life of meaning, purpose, and fulfillment which will bring you happiness. One more verse for you. John 3, 31-34. The one who comes from above is above all, and the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. The spirit. What's the spirit? You may be uh, rolling your eyes at the moment if you're an unbeliever. What's the spirit? Well, let me ask you about this in the period we've just finished. Did you feel in the holiday spirit? Did you get the Christmas spirit? When you go to a gathering, as uh, these restrictions are relaxed on us, will you get in the spirit when you arrive there? We understand spirit. What we don't like is when the spirit is introduced to us as something that can very much move us and direct us, rather than be controlled and directed by us. And that Spirit is sent from God, because the Son is no longer here, but God is still looking to make sure we understand happiness comes with meaning, purpose, and fulfillment, and it comes from meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. Maybe you're getting the gist. I want to read to you, in light of those scriptures that I've just read out, and there are so many more in the book of John, I can't wait for you to get in there and start reading it and question it yourself. C.S. Lewis responded this way famously when asked about Jesus, and he said this, he leaves us three options. Number one, either he was mad and utterly insane. Number two, or he was a bad and cynical liar. Or number three, he's exactly who he claimed to be be three questions you may think that's a little bit uh, oversimplified but the thrust is correct and Jesus asked the exact same question to his disciples he asked it to Peter in Matthew 16 15 who do you say that I am and the answer to that question it's profoundly important to you it's profoundly important to your happiness your meaning your purpose and your fulfillment Because the answer you give to that is the gateway to your understanding. Now, it's important that we understand two things about Jesus. Number one, historically, in the papers and documents that the historians go through, there is more evidence for the person of Jesus Christ than there is for Julius Caesar. Historically. That's one thing to understand, and if you want to uh, check on that, I suggest you read either the book by Lee Strobel called Case for Christ, or there's a book by Josh McDowell called The Evidence Demands a Verdict. Both those men were atheists, did not believe in God, and set out to prove that he, Jesus, did not exist. Both those men wrote these books, and they believe in Christ at this point. But history isn't enough. And what I'm going to suggest to you this morning is that you need to look to the personal Jesus. And that personal Jesus will help you in your study on happiness. He'll help you in your study to get what meaning, purpose, and fulfillment are, how they work together, and where they come from. And it's your choice. Christ has famously said in Matthew 7:7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and And the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened to the one who knocks the door will be opened do you ask do you seek you see god loves us but love cannot be an imposition he gives you the choice you can read pay attention to listen to the words and the spirit and you get to make your choice and that choice is profoundly important and will affect you you will get an understanding of what happiness is And the more you get to understand that the more you understand meaning purpose and fulfillment and how they work to make it which is joyful and i want to read again k warren Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right and it's the determined choice to praise God in every situation, including a pandemic. Can you be happy? I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis again because he was asked that very question by some skeptics. And they said, listen, Mr. Lewis, what is the religion that gives the greatest happiness? He was a brilliant man. He also was a non-believer. The more he read, the more he studied, his mind changed, and he came to understand it. He wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. It's another one you might enjoy reading. But his response to that question was, while it lasts, the religion of worshiping oneself is the best. The religion of worshiping oneself is the best. You want happiness? Worship yourself. Be your own boss. However, listen to Kay Warren's comment when she was asked about that same thing. When happiness is identified as the most important thing, it is the self we seek above all else. And by alluding to this, God, in terms of worship and religion, Lewis makes a helpful juxtaposition, yet in this lies the danger, for even in the matters of enormous consequences, we may seek that which we think will make us happy, and not necessarily that which is true. We become our own God, the measure of all things, and yet reality, as Lewis alluded to, doesn't seem to back this theory up. Again, read Ecclesiastes, then read John. While it lasts, is what Lewis said. In other words, self-satisfaction wrought at the expense of all else is, it's fleeting, it's unreachable, it's unfulfilling, and instead of happiness, when you read on the lives of many of these people, they find boredom and depression. So, the question for you To answer is being your own God going to lead to happiness or is letting God be God going to lead to happiness and while you ponder that I've got a few more questions for you that everyone has to address for your belief system for your worldview for your philosophy for your religion four questions they're common number one origin Where did I come from? Number two, meaning. What's the meaning? What's the purpose of life? Morality. How does one decide and differentiate between what is good and what is evil? And finally, destiny. What happens when I die? And in seeking the answers to those questions and in how you formulate your worldview, I challenge you, and this challenge is actually from Dr. Ravi Zacharias does it correspond does it cohere with what you are experiencing in the world around you again the religion that leads to the greatest happiness while it lasts is self-worship self-satisfaction the self being autonomous and what we are becoming more and more exposed to in our culture the God of me autonomy. What I'd like to quickly do is uh, give you a precie of what Dr. Zacharias uses at many of his uh, debates, speaking engagements, and plain question and answer engagement periods at universities and other places as he travels about the world. Sadly, Dr. Zacharias died last year. But his, uh, his wonderful impact as a Christian apologist will continue. Whenever he got into these discussions, he used to talk to the uh, audience and he'd say, essentially, historically, there are three types of culture in our world. Especially poignant is how this affects us in the Western world. That first type of culture is theonomous. God's the boss. God's in charge. He gives you the dictates so that you can understand what meaning, origin, morality, destiny, what these things all are. God has laid them out. That was one type of culture. And Dr. Zacharias would look at uh, his audience and say, are we in that type of culture? Generally, no, was the answer, not at all. All right, let's try the second type of culture, which is a heteronomous culture. Heteronomous culture has a few at the top who dictate down to the rest of us the things that matter for origin for morality, for destiny, and for meaning. Dr. Zacharias would ask, are we in that type of culture? And again, the audience would reply, well, no. And he said, well, then that comes to the third type of culture. And that's the type of culture we're in right now. It's called the autonomous culture. And they said, what's that? And He said, that's where you, the individual, makes your own moral dictates and prerogatives about origin, about meaning, about morality and about destiny. You decide. Kraut said, yes, that makes sense. That's the world in which we live. I'm going to use a bit more of his uh, wonderful teaching to help get into this a little deeper because I want to finish off by a study called The Golden Triangle of Happiness and try and draw this all together for you. But let me quickly go through what Dr. Zacharias said. All right. So we're in an autonomous culture. A disagrees with B. How are you going to handle it? So I'll ask you just to use your own mind and take this, one of the things we value in our culture, tolerance. Tolerance of blank. It doesn't matter what it is. Tolerance of something. A and B are talking, and A says, well, I disagree with you on that matter of tolerance of blank. I don't think that's so. Here's the issue we face as a culture. When A says that, B has the chance to look at them and say, well, at this point, I'll grant you your autonomy, and you can have that belief. Or does B say, wait a minute, and revert to a heteronomous culture and say, no, you're wrong. You can't have that view. Because, and they lay out their answer. If A disagrees with B, we now have a sociological problem, a relational problem, and a theological problem. The theological problem is simple. The first commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. Your theological problem is, you are replacing God with yourself. Does that lead to happiness? While it lasts, Lewis says it does. Will it last? That's something you need to address. So, I agree we're living in an autonomous culture. What does that have to do with all of this? So I want to finish off by a study that was called the Golden Triangle of Happiness. And this is the result of 60,000 interviews conducted twice a year over 15 years. As a study, that's a tremendous amount of data to have. And they came up with three indicators of a happy life. And I was stunned because I thought there would be a a little bit different twist to it. And here are those three indicators of a happy life. An intimate relationship, an activity in your life or a goal, and security. Intimate relationship, activity, and security. Well, I'm going to substitute meaning for intimate relationship. I'm going to substitute finding purpose for activity and goal, and I'm going to substitute fulfillment for security and stability. And let's get into it, and we'll see. The first thing is an intimate relationship. And Before we go very far, I want to express this. When they say an intimate relationship, I want you to think about this. Does that not create an enormous amount of expectation and responsibility for the people in that relationship? And it is not one-sided. If you're going to have an intimate relationship that brings you happiness, you've got to put in, and the other has to put in. It's not one-way traffic. It takes two, working in concert to grow and have that intimate relationship. Keep that in mind up here. Meaning, purpose, fulfillment, happiness from an intimate relationship. Number two, we will get to. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, or in John chapter 1, that God created us in his own image. And he entered into a relationship with us, and he knows us, and he wants to have a relationship with us. How well does he know us? How intimate is he with us? I'm going to challenge you again to take a Bible and go read Psalm 139. This is how intimately God knows us, how much he desires a relationship for us, and what it could be, can be, and should be. I'm just gonna summarize them for you. He knows when we sit and we rise. He knows where we're going. He's already familiar with all our ways. He perceives our thoughts. Before we speak a word, he knows it already. In creation, we were part of that work. He and his design knit us together in our mother's womb. From conception to birth and onward, he knows our thoughts, what we're going to say when we rise, when we sit down, where we're going. That is extremely intimate. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, God speaking to Jeremiah, Before I formed you, I knew you in the womb. I set you apart. Matthew ten twenty nine to 30, Jesus speaking and explains to the crowd, I know you so well. I also know the birds of the air. I know everything that's going to happen to the sparrows. Nothing happens to them that I am not going to be aware of. And I know you, even down to the number of hairs on your head. That's intimate. God's always intimately involved with us, but he allows choice. You don't have to be intimately involved with him. But he does explain and he does assure, and I'm going to read it again, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. We can have that relationship. It was designed from the beginning by God and in that Is meaning purpose and fulfillment and happiness I want to uh, finish this little bit on intimate relationship with what God says because having an intimate relationship with God I will suggest to you is the relationship not an intimate relationship it is the relationship you need first and foremost in your life in to fulfill the awe-filled design that God has laid out for us. And in having that relationship, happiness, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, intimate relationship with others will follow. When Christ was questioned on some things, he said, well, okay, these are the two and greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to have an intimate relationship, you need to understand love and you need the basis of the work of the designer in order to get that into your life. It's a pathway. It's an instructional manual called the Bible. It's called Leading by the Spirit and it brings these things to you. Next, the study said we need an activity or a goal in our life. I'm going to read to you from Jeremiah 29.11, but before I read it, Quick history lesson. The Israelites had been in uh, severe decline in terms of the prominence of their kingdom. Their relationship to God had broken down. Their keeping of the commandments, their departure from the ways God had told them to live, had fallen apart. They decided they were going to worship other things. They were going to be their own boss. And they took up idolatry. They took up pagan worship. So God. Tells Jeremiah, listen, you got to go and tell these folks. They're going to be going into exile. It's not going to be fun. So tell them to get ready and to be prepared because they're going to have to settle down for 70 years. While they're there, tell them to seek the peace and prosperity of where they're placed, and you will come to understand. Jeremiah has to take this message to the Israelites, but God gives him something else to say. For i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future and then you will call on me and come and pray to me and i will listen to you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart i will be found by you this is not prosperity doctrine this is speaking to your heart god is the consummate gentleman and he allows us choices The sad part is, go back and read Psalm 139 again. God knows so very well what choices will bring what consequences. And he is desperately engaged in the activity of helping us to avoid the consequences of our bad choices. But he's a gentleman. He will let you make your choices. Read the book of John. See what your choice will be. So lastly... What's your goal or activity that's going to help bring happiness into your life? Ah. Jeremiah 5:16:6, 6, excuse me, 15:17 says this: "Stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, "We will not walk in it." Autonomy was a problem 2,000 years ago. We're going to do it our way, not yours, God. Micah 6, 8, you want an activity? Here it is. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Finally, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to thirty-nine: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it: Love your neighbor as yourself. As a quick aside, just like the Pharisee, when God said this, he questioned, "Well, who's my neighbor?" Think about that. Who is your neighbor? Read the parable of the Good Samaritan and you're going to find out who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is all of mankind. God's the designer. He wired us and he knows what will bring into our life the precious promises given in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let me repeat. They are the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control and our activity it's our goal it's to follow the design and the designer to get that fruit of the spirit into our life and autonomy gets in the way as a quick example before we close off here this morning I'm going to tell you a short story I bought myself a tablet several years ago and at that time I was working with a, a young crowd and I got the tablet and they were telling me no. You're gonna love it, it'll help you with this, it'll help you with that. And I said, okay, so I turned it on. It came to life, and I looked at it, and all of a sudden, it struck me. I have absolutely no idea how to work this. There was no keyboard. There were just icons all over the screen. So I'm looking at it, trying to, I touch the icon, it opened up. Then the, the young kids that were with me showed me well you gotta swipe left you gotta swipe right you gotta swipe up you gotta swipe down then when you get here you gotta do this don't worry you'll get it well they were right it took me a while they showed me i started to understand how to work that tablet but oh gosh i can't remember the time frame i i I had their help for probably a week or more but let me ask you this if when i bought that tablet Bill Gates came along beside and said, do you want me to show you how to work that? I designed it. I'd have jumped at the opportunity and he'd shown me and I'd follow that design and it'd be working. That's how it is with us. God's gonna come alongside and he's gonna say, do you wanna understand what'll give you meaning, purpose and fulfillment? Do you wanna be happy? I designed you, I know you. Here's the way it's going to work. If you pay attention to the design, you will find out your activity is to seek the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Walk humbly with your God. Act justly and love mercy. These are deep things, but they will give you a life that is indeed joyful, not just happy. The last one In the study was the lack of stability coupled with financial control people found that if they had financial control and could get some stability they'd be happy and that's a tough one for us and so quickly assuredly money and the ability to use it and to bribe for ourselves for our loved ones and for our community it's a very important matter we're not picking on money however Listen to what Scott Sauls, who's a pastor in uh, Nashville that writes a weekly blog, listen to what he says. Having wealth or not having wealth is never of chief concern to Jesus. Rather, what matters is where we locate our treasure. We're not told that it is impossible to have God and money at the same time, but we are told in Matthew 6:24 that it's impossible to love and serve God and money at the same time he goes on to say this so money sickness or greed is equated with an inordinate love for money not the possession of it Greed's not about having money as much as it is about having money having us that's tricky don't you think and he finishes with this greed my greed almost always traces back to dissatisfaction with what I have or don't have in comparison to others. What I have or don't have in comparison to others. So a question for you to consider, when is enough enough to feel stable, to feel secure? Is money going to do it? Some of the world's most wealthiest people have experienced letdown when they hit their coveted number or thought they had enough and I'm going to read to you the reply from John D Rockefeller who made billions in the oil industry when he was asked how much money is enough his answer was at least one more dollar the actor And comedian Jim Carrey said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and to do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see that that's not the answer. Neither of those gentlemen sound to me like they're happy. So I wanted to read a couple more comments before we close. His name is Tej Dor. He also works for Ravi Zacharias and Zacharias Ministries. He was questioned on this study, The Pursuit of Happiness, The Golden Triangle. This was his comment. The final element in that study, it rests in a sense of security in life. But this comes when we know that we can depend or rely on someone or something. I'm going to tell you that it's someone. Things come and go. God does not. John 16, 32-33 says this, I've told you all this so that in trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. Those train tracks, those parallel train tracks. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, advised us again, What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met that's Matthew 6:30:33 30, from the message. God goes on and he says these things in his Bible. You want stability? You want security? I Jesus do not change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. James 1:17 says, "Every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows." If you want stability, if you want security in your life, base it on something that does not change. I got myself a new tablet. I was using it. I had it for maybe 10 days. And guess what? Boom! A pop up message comes up and says, you need to, first, you need to download the new operating system, then the new drivers, then reboot. I only had it for 10 days, and it changed. But I can tell you something. You get to know God, He will not change. You may, but He certainly will not. And if you are entered into that relationship, it takes two. He's doing His part. It's now time for you to do yours. And if you want to understand what happiness is, I'll repeat it again. It comes from and it comes with meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. And those things are shown to you by one and one only. That's our God. I want to close with a quote from Oswald Chambers. And I think it's very poignant because we live in an autonomous culture. We like to preach the gospel of the Abbots. Yeah, the Bible says, yeah, but, and it's not going to work. While it lasts, but, as C.S. Lewis commented, while it lasts should haunt your thinking. Here's a comment from Oswald Chambers. Thousands of people are happy without God in this world. If I was happy and moral until Jesus came, why did he come? Because that kind of happiness and peace is at a wrong level. Jesus came to send a sword through every peace that is not based on a personal relationship to him. You want to find happiness? Establish a personal relationship with God Two people in an intimate relationship. You will find out happiness, meaning, purpose, and fulfillment are wired into you if you allow God to show you why and how he designed us so that that will be so. May you have a happy new year. Read John, read Ecclesiastes, read the Bible. God bless.